Hi, and welcome back. Glad you're here. I'm glad you decided to continue this journey. Uh, If you're still here in Luke chapter 23, I'm assuming you're going to make it to the end and stick it out. Nice job. Uh, Again, I'm glad you decided to be here. Decisions. That's what we're talking about today. We have a lot to make, don't we? A lot of decisions to make. What are you going to do when you grow up? Who are you going to marry? What are you going to eat for breakfast? Which present are you going to open first? All decisions, but nothing nearly as important as the decision that is before Pilate. Here we go. We are back. Pastor Jacob May dialing in from Christ Lutheran Church, Gordonville. I'm sure this is one trip to Jerusalem that Pilate wished he didn't have to make. Uh, Typically, he was in Caesarea, but came to Jerusalem uh, to make sure that everything was going well for the Passover with all the people coming into the city. You never know what kind of uprisings would take place. And as we can tell, there certainly is going to be one, but not in the way that the crowd, not in the way that the Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to uh, force people to believe. It's not Jesus the problem. The problem is, well, it's those who are trying to kill Jesus. They're the problem. They're the uprising. They're the ones that are causing all the conflict. And what's very interesting about this is that we see the way that Jesus is presented to Pilate. At the end of 22, where they're trying to get Jesus to say that he is the Son of God, and he says, you say that I am. They respond by saying, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it for ourselves from his own lips. This is blasphemy in their understanding of things. He deserves to die. But What is it that they bring before Pilate? What do they say about Jesus? Their concern isn't the blasphemy. No, they're going to tell Pilate whatever they think Pilate needs to hear so that Pilate will do what they want him to do. They're trying to play Pilate uh, as the puppet. And they say this, they say, we have found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Notice that was not the problem that they were addressing when they were all gathered together. But as they continue, and he's saying that he himself is Christ, a king, putting emphasis on the fact that he is Christ, a king, right? This is going to be a threat to Pilate. This is a threat to the empire. This is what uh, Pilate needs to do to take care of it. He needs to kill Jesus so that there isn't an uprising that he fears. He can't be a weak leader. Otherwise, the one who's in charge of Pilate is going to remove him from position. So really, the Jews are doing whatever they can to try to get Jesus killed. This is their. This is what has been their mission all along. They're going to have this arrest at night so that the, the crowd can't defend Jesus. Then they're going to bring him before Pilate and say the words. No one's going to rebel against Pilate. They can't rebel against Pilate. This is a wicked and evil thing that's taking place. So Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He said, well, you said so. But this doesn't really bother Pilate. He he looks pretty innocent, right? There's nothing he can actually do to hurt Pilate. So what does he do? He says, well, I'm not going to execute this guy. I'll tell you what, since he's from Galilee, I'm going to pass him on over to Herod. Now, Herod was a king, but really he also was just a a puppet. He was a Jewish representation to to give the, the Jews a feeling that they have a voice in government, but he did whatever the Roman Empire told him to do as well. And cared nothing about what was happening with the people. He only wanted the political power. 
But he was excited. He'd heard things about Jesus. He wanted to see some magic tricks. That's essentially what was taking place. But Jesus didn't respond to anything he said. He didn't do anything, didn't perform any miracles. So they made fun of him. Then he sent him back to Pilate. And it says that the two of them kind of got a chuckle out of this. They became friends over, uh, over Jesus and being passed back and forth like this. So we're glad that two enemies were able to come together because of Jesus. Unfortunately, it was for the wrong reason. Now, finally, though, the crowd is going to have their way. They've been frustrated. They've been calling uh, for his death. And uh, Pilate doesn't know what to make of it. He's tried to deny it quite a few times now. I'm not going to kill Jesus. I've found no fault in him. But then the crowd does something bizarre, which is a custom for them to do. They want a prisoner to be released. They call for Barabbas. Now, it says that Barabbas is an individual who started an insurrection in the city and was also accused of murder. So a person that actually was starting problems and is a murderer is the one that they're going to release back into society while the one who brought peace is the one that they're going to crucify. It just shows you that right now at this point in time, the Pharisees are not in their right mind. When it comes to an individual that you would want in society, would you want this Jesus who's quote-unquote cause problems, or would you want someone that might possibly kill your family? Well, this is an easy one. But for them, it was all too easy. Jesus is a threat, a threat to their establishment. So fine, give us the murderer. We'll put up with him, but crucify Jesus. This is what they want all along. There's nobody that's going to stand in the way. Nobody. But they were urgent. The crowd was urgent and urgent to the point that Pilate decided, all right, I'm going to grant it to him. Because after all, he doesn't want an insurrection right there. It'd be easier to kill Jesus and please the crowd than to not kill Jesus and, and see what happens, right? He doesn't want the political pressure. After all, if this guy's claiming to be king, that's all he has to say in order to defend himself. So we'll kill this one guy and he can save his own skin. The paragraph concludes by saying this. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for murder, but delivered Jesus over to their will. We're going to come back to that, hopefully, if we have time. Um, but it's just astounding how this happens. Then it's time for the actual crucifixion, where Simon Serene has been uh, asked, <laughs> volunteered, voluntold, uh, to carry the cross with Jesus, uh, being associated with this man accused uh, of being the king of the Jews. So they're marching into Jerusalem, and people start crying, weeping, right? Uh, it's hard to know exactly what they're upset about. Just maybe it's because they're upset Jesus is dying, or it could be they're just upset at the error of his ways. Uh, it's hard to say, but interestingly enough, what does Jesus do? He says, don't cry for me. Weep for yourselves. The times are coming where it's going to be worse for you. It's going to be worse for Jerusalem. It's going to be uh, destroyed. We talked about that a couple of chapters ago. But he says, hey, if they're willing to do this kind of stuff to me now, what's going to happen to you guys when things get really bad? And he's got a point because things are going to get really bad. But this is when you have all the mockery that starts to take place. You have the, the criminals that are there. You have the soldiers 
that are mocking him for being the king of the Jews. You have the, the people in the crowd, right? But in the midst of all this, this is what's just so amazing, is that what does Jesus do? He says these words. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Could you imagine if you were in a situation where someone was about ready to take your life, hurting you? What would you say? How angry would you be? What would your response be? Hey, I forgive you. It's cool. You're going to take my life. I forgive you and I love you. You want to hurt me? You want to torture me? I've done nothing wrong. I forgive you. I'll be honest. I'm putting up a fight. I'm putting up a struggle. I'm angry. I'm mad. Forgiveness is the last thing I want to offer them because they're not righteous in what they're doing. They're guilty. They need to know about it. They're going to hear about it. Father, forgive them. But see, isn't this kind of the point of all of this? Well, we see everything that's happening, how chaotic this scene must have been for Pilate, for Herod, for the crowd, for for everybody that's watching that Jesus is actually going to die. And I open this up by saying that this is about decisions, but really it's not. For this was God's decision. Everybody else thought that they had the power, that everything was happening because they wanted it to. Look, if Jesus really wanted to, he could have escaped. He sifted through the crowds before. If he really wanted to, he could have come down from that cross and shown them how great and mighty he actually was. But see, that's the reason why he was on the cross. Because there was something that was far more important to him than his ego. It was forgiveness. There was something that was far greater to him than proving everybody that he was right. It was you. It was me. This was the only way for God to redeem us and restore us. This is the Lamb of God from our Passover conversation yesterday. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, your sin and my sin, all of the things that we've done. A murderer was released that day. And I'm not just talking about Barabbas. I'm talking about me. The times I've killed people with my words. I'm talking about you, the times that you've killed relationships with the things that you've done. Jesus allowed for this to happen. Not just allowed. This is the plan from the Father. This is what he's going to do all along. The sacrifice that we deserve, the death that we should have died. He said, no, I'm taking it upon myself because I love my people. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And then here's that thief on the cross. The guy that has absolutely nothing left, nothing to his name is going to die. Just a few last breaths. He sees Jesus for who he really is. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that's what Jesus says. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, Jesus has the victory. Jesus won. 
It's absolutely amazing. See, oftentimes when we look at this crucifixion scene, we look on it with horror and terror and in ways we should. I mean, it's terrible what the Lord went through. However, we do have to have the perspective. He went through it for us. This is what God was willing to do for us, for you. God was willing to have nails put in the hands of Jesus and his feet, have a side pierced to, to suffer the burden of the weight of the cross because that's how much he loved you and me. This is what he was looking to do all along from the very beginning. How can I say that? Well, look what happens. It says the sixth hour came, right? The sun starts to, to darken. Jesus is about ready to give his last breath, which is, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. But something uh, interesting takes place. The temple curtain was torn in two. Remember, that curtain was there to protect people. That's why it's there. No one could see God's face and live. He is too holy. He is too righteous. He is just. If you, a sinful person, would gaze upon God, you would be destroyed. You would die. It's not that God wanted to kill you. You just couldn't handle that holiness. But what we see happening is that curtain that separates God and people, it's torn in two, showing what God has been wanting all along, what we see happen from the very beginning. Remember all the way back to Luke chapter 1. It started with the prophecy of John the Baptist to his father Zechariah. John the Baptist comes Zechariah gets his voice back and then he sings praise to God. Listen to this. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's come. This is what it's all about. God wants to be with his people. He doesn't want to be a distant God. He doesn't want to be a God that's set apart from the rest of creation. That's not how he created it to be. Remember the book of Genesis chapter 1. After God created Adam and Eve, he was with them in the garden, walked with them in the cool of the day. God desired to be with his creation. This was the relationship that God established. We were the ones that broke it. But that wasn't going to keep God from us. Our imperfections, our sinfulness, our pride, our arrogance, our lust our murderous thoughts and deeds, that wouldn't keep God from pursuing us, even if it meant taking our punishment. That's what's so amazing about the crucifixion. It's not just a man dies on the cross. Jesus died. Jesus, yes, is man, but Jesus is God. As it says in Colossians 2, the fullness of the deity dwelled in him. God dies on the cross. The humiliation of it all. That's why I love the fact that we are reading this section just a couple of days before Jesus comes into Bethlehem of the incarnation of Christmas. It's a reminder for why he comes. The fact that Jesus would come and be a little child, a baby, having to learn how to do everything like us. But then he actually chooses to die a murderous, horrendous death that an all-powerful God would actually go through this. It's humiliating, but you are worth it. That's what this gospel tells us. 
that God would choose to die for you. Because he doesn't want to live without you. He doesn't want to live separated from you. He loves you. He wants that relationship with you. That's why Jesus came. That's why he had to die. He did what he had to do for you and for me. Jesus was then placed in a tomb. And since it was Sabbath, they had to wait. They couldn't prepare his body. They couldn't check on. They just had to place him in the grave. And they just knew that Jesus was dead. But I'm thankful that we still have one more chapter to go. See you tomorrow, everybody.